Welcome. My name is Dr. Jonathan Vorse, and thank you for downloading our podcast today on Working the Word. Make sure you hit that subscribe button to receive new podcasts every week. Thank you for your support at jvorse.org and enjoy the message today. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now it came to pass as they went that Jesus entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received Him into her house. She had a sister called Mary which also sat at the feet of Jesus and heard His word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to Him and said, Lord, dost Thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she helps me. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. What I'm going to do today in the message, or what we're going to do, what we're going to talk about is the challenge of busyness. And really what this message, this, these passages of Scripture mean in a nutshell is this. Jesus was saying, there are things that need to be done, but don't ever let them replace your worship. That's what He was saying. There are things that need to be done, but don't ever let them replace your worship. So, uh, so as a, you know, I'm going to preach a pastoral message today like I do every Sunday, and I'm going to give you some instruction about busyness, some instruction from the Word of God about busyness. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say to them, busyness is a thief. It steals your time, it steals your emotion, it steals your frame of mind. It, it, it's a thief, it's a thief. Sometimes it steals your joy. And uh, I know that we all know there are some people that are just busy being busy, right? So they're running in a circle and they're getting nothing done. Listen, God designed us to live our life on purpose. And what I mean by that is He's designed us with a purpose and we need to get on it. We need to get on that purpose. The Bible said Martha was cumbered about many things and Jesus decried this lifestyle. He said, Martha, Martha, He said, you are cumbered about with many things. He said, you're troubled about so many things, but Mary's doing what she's supposed to be doing. I'm here. I'm physically in your presence. You should be worshiping. And so then we go on and, and we see how that because of that, now later on we, we see where there was a, a transition that took place and she obviously got the message in Scripture. So today I want to talk to you about what to do when you feel like your life is too busy. Number one, the first thing that I want to talk about is that you need to recognize that your life is out of control. That life is running you. Okay, this is kind of a country area so I'm going to say it like this. The tail is wagging the dog. You got the cart before the horse. Are you getting the picture? Are you getting the picture? We have to have an honest conversation with ourselves about our life. And listen, it's pretty easy to be honest with other people, but when we, be, when we have to be honest with ourselves, therein lies the challenge. Because sometimes when we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit we failed. Sometimes when we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit I probably made the wrong choice over there, so that wasn't really a very good decision. 
So there are things about being honest with ourselves that can be a challenge for us. And one of those things that can be a challenge for us is to admit that we're too busy being busy about things that are cumbering us. Like Jesus was telling Martha, Martha, you are troubled and careful and cumbered about with so many things. So there's a couple of reasons why that uh, the tail wags the dog. There's a couple of reasons why we're so busy being busy. Number one, it's because we haven't been honest with ourselves. And then the second thing that I want to mention is because we're trying to do things by ourselves. God never intended for us to do life alone. Look at your neighbor and say you're not alone. Tell them that. God didn't intend for you to do life alone. God designed you to be part of a community. You were made... For community, you were made for family. Well, I don't have any children. You have a church family. You have a church family. You were made for community. If you can achieve everything that you feel like that God has put in your life on your own, then God didn't put them there. You are self-aggrandizing. In other words, you, you've made that up inside of, of your mind. God is going to challenge you to do things that are impossible for you to do on your own. And the reason is because God created you for community. Not only did God create you for community, God created you to be a part of a bigger part. And that bigger part needs you just like you need it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16 in the book of, in the Amplified Version, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus said this, Rather, let our lives lovingly express truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, living truly, enfolded in love, let us grow up. Okay, you can look at your neighbor right now and not get in trouble and say two words that you have wanted to say for a long time. Look at them and say, grow up. Look at them. Say, grow up. Say, grow up, grow up. Just go ahead and grow up. All right. Let us grow up in every way and in all things into Him who is the head. So we're not just growing up for the purpose of growing up. We are growing up and into Christ who is the head of the church. And so then we go on here and the Bible says, For because of Him the whole body, the church, and all of its various parts closely joined and firmly knit together by the joints and ligaments with which it is supplied, when each part with power adapted to its need is working properly in all of its functions, it grows to full maturity, building itself up in love. In the King James Version, it uses uh, phrases like this, fitly joined together. So in other words, you fit somewhere. The enemy will tell you you don't fit. You'll look around and you'll say, there's nobody here like me. I don't fit. The fact that there's no one there like you is proof that you fit. It's proof that they need you. It's proof that you have value. So the enemy uses that because, see, the enemy uses the weapon of comfort to keep us in a lifestyle of mediocrity. And we need to be delivered from mediocrity. We need to realize that I have value. And when the enemy comes against you and says, you know, you need to look at the enemy and say, no, I have value. God don't make no junk. Bad English, great concept. God don't make no junk. 
Look at your neighbor and say, God didn't say whoops when He made you. <laughs> Fitly joined together. Another phrase in the King James Version in this passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 4 is every joint supplying one another. So God doesn't insert us into the body of Christ for us just to take up space. We're supposed to feed and be fed. We are supposed to take the gifts and the talents that God has placed inside of us and we are to join ourselves to a larger vision, to a larger purpose. We are to do that and when we do that, then we can together rejoice when we see the victories that we all experience together. So we have to become honest with ourselves. If we're busy, maybe it's because we haven't allowed ourselves to be connected to the right to the right group of people, maybe it's because we're too proud to be connected because if we're connected, then we become vulnerable and people see our faults and our failures. Listen, you got to be hooked up. You got to get the hook up and you got to be hooked up. You got to stay hooked up in order for you to experience fullness in your life. Being what God made us to be and not lusting or coveting after another position is a sign of spiritual maturity. But I want to be the pastor. You can't be the pastor. I'm the pastor. I'm not saying that arrogantly. I'm making a point. Well, I want to be the head of security. You can't be the head of security. I'm not going to tell you who the head of security is, but they're present this morning. Okay? I, I, I just, I want to be the worship leader. You can't be the worship leader. Sissy's the worship leader. She's the the lead worship leader. She has other worship leaders that help, Shauna and Charles and all of them, but Sizzy's the main. I want to be the main worship. You can't be. That position's taken. Quit looking at what you want to do and wish you would do and say, God, where do I fit? And when you find that spot, connect. And when you connect, then start being a blessing to everybody. The reason that people, a lot of times, they get, they get overwhelmed in positions of leadership is because they fail to try to pour into other people's lives. And let me tell you something. If all you're doing is taking on responsibility and never delegating it out, you're going to become overwhelmed very quickly. Very quickly. And so, uh, that creates a lot of busyness in your life. And so one of the results of being grown up in God is that you embrace the position that God has for you and you're receiving instruction and wisdom and encouragement and you're giving instruction and wisdom and encouragement. So not only are you a house to receive the anointing, but you're a conduit for the anointing to flow through. That makes sense? All right. Now, here's a sign of someone who's grown up in the Lord. They're producing fruit. Grown-ups have offspring. Grown-ups have kids. Grown-ups have grandchildren, the blessing of the Lord. Grown-ups have grandchildren. So that's one of the things. You've got to be honest with yourself. So number one, be honest. If you're too busy, be honest. Number two, the second thing that we need to do if you're too busy is you've got to prioritize your life. You have to prioritize your life. Ask God for wisdom in prioritizing your life. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because God is a God of structure. First things first. You don't believe it? Go to Genesis chapter 1. On the first day, God created light. What would have happened if God would have created grass before He created light? All the grass would have died. 
and there was no earth, it was all water, and so the, the grass would have drowned. It, it just wouldn't have worked. God is a God of structure. God is into structure. You want some more scripture for that? The very first words that God ever spoke to humanity was in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 28 where God spoke to man. God didn't speak to man and say, Oh, you were created in my image after my likeness. Don't you look like me? Wow. You know, and God didn't look at Adam and even say, well, I put you in the garden and you're doing a great... No, 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 no. The very first words that God ever... Recorded words that God ever spoke to humanity that we have is in Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 28 when He said, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. First things first, a structured command. You can't multiply until you've first been fruitful. So you have to be fruitful and multiply. You can't replenish the earth if you're just uh, in, the, in the process of just trying to be fruitful if you're in addition. No, duplicity brings multiplicity to the kingdom. And so you're fruitful and then you multiply and then you replenish the earth. And once the earth is replenished, Adam, because you're going to live 900 years, Adam... So once the earth is replenished, Adam, then you need to subdue the earth. In other words, you need to, to rein it in just a little bit and start structuring it and have dominion. God created you to live a structured life. And if you're not living a structured life, if you're not doing first things first, second things second, third things third, if you're not doing that, then you're going to get so busy with the tail wagging the dog that you're not going to get anything done because you're over here working on something that's not possible to be achieved because the foundation of what you're working on over here has not been laid over here. Does that make sense? So we go on here. This was God's first conversation to man. And I think it's noteworthy to note that it was a conversation to set them up for success. God is interested in you being successful. So, sequence supports structure. First things first, second things second, third things third. So how does that apply to me in my busy life? Ask God to help you organize your life. Lord, what do I do today? What do I do tomorrow? What do I do next week? What do I do next year? What do I do? Lord, what do I do within the next hour? What do you want me to do? Ask God to give you wisdom on how to structure your life. And then give yourself to instruction. Said it many times. I keep saying it because repetition is the key to learning. There's two ways to learn. Mentors or mistakes. Right? Find yourself godly mentors. Give yourself to their instruction. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 9. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. So don't let wise people intimidate you. When God puts a wise person in your life, when God puts a wise person in your circle, realize they're there for me. And tap that wisdom. And don't be shy, but grab all of the wisdom that you can. And then in Proverbs chapter 8, verses 34 through 35, in the Amplified Version, this is speaking of wisdom. It says this, it says, Hear instruction and be wise and do not refuse or neglect it. So give yourself to instruction. Know-it-alls are always limited in what they can do for God or anything else for that matter. If nobody can tell you anything then your life has already been capped. There's absolutely nothing else you'll be able to achieve because you know it all. 
Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a know-it-all. Don't do that. Don't do that. In fact, the Bible said, hear instruction and be wise and do not refuse or neglect it. Verse 34, blessed, which means happy or fortunate to be envied, is the man who listens to wisdom, watching daily at his gates, waiting at the post of wisdom's doors. For whoever finds wisdom finds life and draws forth and obtains favor from the Lord. Honor is the prerequisite to favor, and favor comes because of wisdom. Then the third thing, and this is the last thing, actually there's two more things, but they kind of work together. So the third and fourth thing work together that I want to share with you before we're done this morning is in this challenge of being busy, not only do you have to be honest with yourself and realize the tail's been wagging the dog, that's number one. Not only do you have to pray for wisdom to prioritize and give yourself to that instruction and that wisdom, but number three, when you have the wisdom at your disposal and you have devised a plan and God has helped you structure your life, if you don't work the plan, you'll never see what can be achieved. you got to work the plan. You have to work the plan for your life. You say, well, I'm just too busy. It's because you are busy and cumbered about with many things and you're not living a structured life. That's why you're too busy. And so don't be troubled and don't be cumbered about. If you say, well, it's just too big, then look around and see who, God, who God's put in your life and let them be a part of your life. So then we go and, and then you've got to follow through. You've got to be faithful. The Bible said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 62, Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You have to follow through. I know people who are so trapped in the past that they can't see what God is doing today. And they absolutely have no ability or affinity for the future for that matter because they're so busy remembering what God used to do. Well, honey, history is history. Let it stay there. I don't care how successful you were. And that's the word, were. I don't care how successful you were. I don't care how big the crowd was. I don't care how big the church was. I don't care how big the business was. I don't care how big the bank account was. If it's a were, that means it's past. Leave it there. Leave it there. Embrace the present. Allow God to structure your present so He can launch you into your future. And in so doing, then your destiny does not have to be defined by your history. It could be that your destiny is much greater than your history ever could have produced for you. But as long as you keep looking backwards, then all you're doing is living out a memory when you could be living out a present anointing, a present power, a present infusion of what God wants to do in your life. So let God launch you. Get the eyes out of the back of your head and look forward and let God launch you into your future. Luke 9, 62 in the message translation translates uh, that scripture like this, no pro procrastination, no backward looks. You can't put God's kingdom off till tomorrow. Seize the day. Quit waking, quit waiting for everything to be perfect for you to execute the plan. 
when I was evangelizing many, many, many years ago now, I was out as a teenager, just graduated from high school. Rachel remembers this. I was out evangelizing. I had a little 1978 Volkswagen Rabbit. That crazy thing had been hit so hard on the passenger side you couldn't even get the door open. But I drove that thing to Louisiana. I drove it to Arkansas. I drove it to Missouri. I drove it to Michigan. It even caught on fire. The fuse box caught on fire in the rain in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And thank God for the rain because I pulled over, found a puddle, and threw water on the fire, got back in, and thank God the thing started and I was able to drive it three more hours home. Mm -hmm. I had a 1973 Comet. How many remember those Comet? Looks like a Maverick. I had a 1973 Comet that had shag carpet on the inside. Remember shag carpet? You remember that? And, 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 let me tell you, and let me tell you how unlearned I was, okay? I'd been up in Canada with that 1973 Comet preaching to the Indians, and they gave me this beautiful, beautiful thing that had beautiful feathers, fluffy feathers, and it had a little clip on the end of it. And I said, that is a beautiful, that's beautiful. So I hung it from the mirror in my 1973 Comet and didn't understand why the police pulled me over. The police, I'm telling you, I, I, I didn't grow up like some of y'all, okay? I wasn't, a, I wasn't into drugs when I grew up, so I knew nothing about drugs. And so the police looks at me, and he says, what do you have a roach clip hanging? I said, a roach clip? He said, yeah, why do you have a roach clip hanging from your mirror? I said, how do you clip a roach? <laughs> I'm serious. I had no idea. I found out later that it's the what's left for some of you that may not know, that was raised in church like I was, but it's what's left of like weed or something like, like what was it, marijuana or something, and it's too small to hang on to. So you got this little clip and you click on it and you get one or two more off of it, okay? Well, I had that hanging in my car and I'm evangelizing. Oh, Lord. I've got friends in low places. <laughs> well, during that time of my life, I had people say, well, I'm going to do exactly what, the, what you're doing one day when the Lord gives me a camper and a truck to pull it with. And I just looked at them and I said, you'll never get it if you don't start now. Seize the day. Quit waiting for everything to be perfect before you start obeying God. Quit waiting for everything to be perfect. Listen, I would rather jump out there. I'd rather wait out there. I'd rather just get in waters to swim in and have to clean up a mess every now and then than to be so afraid to take one step forward that I allow the enemy to, d to dwindle the ministry down to almost nothing, into insignificance. And that's what the enemy will do. He'll say, well, you can't do that because you don't have the right equipment. You can't do that. You don't have the right instruments. You can't do that because you're not a good speaker. You can't do that because you don't have a degree. Can't use that anymore on you. You can't do that because of all of this and all of that. And what you need to do is you need to say, get behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. And you need to seize the day. So work your plan. Follow through and work your plan. It does no good to prioritize and structure if you don't work your plan. And things aren't always going to be perfect when you start working the plan. Launch out in faith and see what God will do for you. Amen. Amen. Now, the last thing I want to talk to you about is we're talking about the challenge of busyness. The last thing I want to talk to you about 
is that four-letter word called rest. That four-letter word called rest. Now, God's Word teaches us to rest. Well, I just don't have time to rest. Well, even God rested on the seventh day. Okay? If God had to rest, what makes you think you don't? In the Old Testament, they would kill people if they didn't rest on the Sabbath. You think God was serious about rest? He, he's serious about rest. Now, there's power in resting. And you need to build rest in, and you haven't completely prioritized your life the way God wants you to and structured your life the way God wants you to if you don't build in at least one day of rest a week. When you work, work. When you rest, rest. Now, I want to go down this little track here, and I've got a couple of scriptures I'm going to share with you here in just a few moments. But I want to kind of, let's, let's have a little come to Jesus meeting together, okay? You know I'm a pastor, and I'm not an evangelist when I'm here for sure. And so, you know I'm a straight shooter, so we're going to do some straight shooting here for just a few minutes, okay? God's Word says, you work six days and the seventh you rest. It doesn't say you work four days and rest three. It doesn't say you work five days and rest two. It says you work six days and you rest the seventh. And everyone said? Amen. Second thing that I want to have a little conversation with you about is this. Whoever came up with the concept that you only work eight hours a day? I have never in my life met a successful person that only worked eight hours a day. Right? 40 hours a week. Whoever come up with that? I know it's in our culture, but I'm going to tell you right now, God didn't come up with that. Let me give you an example just from the earth. If you were a farmer... During the time of the year when you should plant, water, till the ground, weed, work the field, during that time of the year, it's just conveniently the time of the year when you have the longest days of sunshine. When you get toward the end of the year, around October, November, December, it's winding down, and what time is that? That's harvest time. You don't need as much time to harvest as you do to plant, to till, to water, and so the days are shorter. So God built it within the earth. You work six days. You say, well, I don't think we ought to, we ought to work every waking minute. Well, I mean, you know, there, there's some of us who, you know, we may work over here for a while and then go do something else that we really enjoy, but it's still kind of work, but we enjoy it. Okay, but I'll give you some scripture for this. Here's what the Bible said. The Bible said, work while it is day, because the night comes when no man can work. When I was involved in construction, when I was involved in dairy work, uh, and, and uh, running routes, and, and then eventually managing the uh, Southern Bell Dairy there all over eastern Kentucky, we worked full days. 12-hour days, 14-hour days. You know what? That hasn't changed. I'm in the ministry full time. Guess how many hours I work every day? Living for God and doing what God's called you to do is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. There's work involved. There's joy involved. There's battle involved. There's victories involved. But you're living on purpose. When you are doing what God has called you to do, you're not punching a clock. You're not punching it in 
and punching it out. And so there's a lot of people today, they'll come to me sometimes and they'll say, and I'm I'm trying to bring this in, but they'll come to me sometimes and they'll say, well, I just wish the Lord would bless me and I'll find out they're only working three days a week or four days a week. And they'll say, well, what should I do, Pastor? I'll say, get a job. And they'll say, I got a job. Get another one. Well, I'm already working four days a week. Get another job. Go to work. Okay, you need some scripture, don't you? Look at your neighbor and say, my pastor loves me so much, he'll tell me the truth every time. That's right. So here's the point that I'm trying to make. You can get too much rest. You need to rest, but you can get too much rest. Proverbs 10, 4 through 5. He becomes poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Verse 5. He that gathereth in summer is a wise son, But he that sleepeth in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Okay, now let's go two chapters farther. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 24. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. The hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. You don't have any right to be complaining about not having what you don't need if you're only working 20 hours a week. I'm just too busy to work. Busy doing what? Because it's not a problem of you being too busy to work. You haven't prioritized. You haven't prioritized. You've got to prioritize your life. Number one, it's God. It's always God, number one. Number two, it's your family. And then everything else comes after that. Number one, it's God. Number two, it's your family. Everything else comes after that. And then Proverbs chapter 6, last scripture. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 10 through 11 says this. Yet a little sleep, a little slumber. What is slumber? Slumber is being there but not being there. You ever had someone that you were working with in an office and... You go and you talk to them and they look at you and go, yeah, 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 yeah. And you know they didn't even hear what you said. Huh? All right? Slumber is, well, I'm here. I clocked in. Yeah, but you've been sitting at your desk for 45 minutes sawing logs. You're, yeah, and you're. Slumber is being there but not being engaged in the process. Slumber is being there but not being involved for whatever reason. And so the Bible says this, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth and thy want as an armed man. So this is a message to a wealthy man or woman because it says, so shall your poverty come. You see that? As I was studying this scripture uh, a couple of days ago, that scripture came to my mind, and I didn't feel like I had time to put it in the message, but that scripture came to my mind of, uh, of the gentleman who said, I will now tear down my barns and build greater. And, and he goes on, and, and then the Bible says, in the scripture it says, Thou fool, don't you know this night your soul will be required of you. So many people spend their life Chasing the dollar 
that they forget to live out their purpose. Let me tell you something. You help enough people get what they need to get, and all of that other stuff will take care of itself. It'll take care of itself. So when it comes to rest, when you work, work. But when you rest, rest. But when you rest, don't rest too long. Don't rest too much. You know, there was a time in America when a preacher wouldn't have to get up and open up the scriptures and talk about things like this. But you have to today. Because there's a whole lot of people, and I'm not going to say we have a generation, I'm talking about we have a culture where if you ask people to do anything over 32 hours a week, they want to pop on you like you've abused them or something. What? You hired me and you expect me to work? I thought I just came to get a paycheck. Oh, Jesus, he's done quit preaching and went to meddling. I'm teaching you the Word. I'm teaching you what the Word of God says. So Jesus looks at her and He says, Martha, Martha, you're careful and you're troubled about many things. But one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. What He's saying is find time to worship. Now, let me go down this track. I was going to skip over it. I've, I, I visited in the first service, but I'm feeling prompted by the Holy Spirit to do it in this service. The Sabbath is Saturday. It's the seventh day. Whenever your week starts, but the seventh day, usually Saturday. It's known culturally as Saturday. Sunday is a work day. Well, that's the Lord's day. No, it's your day. It's a work day. The early New Testament church met on Sunday, the first day of the week, to honor the principle of first fruits. And the concept is this. In the Old Testament, under the old law, they would meet on the Sabbath as the day of rest. They would read scripture, all that kind of stuff. When Jesus came, he satisfied the law, filled it up, opened up a new dispensation of what we call grace today, or the New Testament, the New Covenant. And so he opens that up, and the New Testament church meets on the first day of the week. They give God the first morning of the first day of their work week. And so they didn't go to work their secular jobs on that Sunday. They gave God the first day of the week to work for Him. And we have people that get upset if service goes over an hour and 15 minutes. This is your day and it's God's day. It's the first fruits day. That's why the Bible said financially that they set aside as the Lord had prospered them to bring an offering to the Lord on the first day of the week because it's the first day. It's the principle of the first fruits. My encouragement to you is this. If you want God to bless your efforts and you want God to bless your life, then you give God the first day of the work week. You go work for your employer the next five days, that's fine. You give God that first day and that six days of work. And then the seventh day, you need to find a meadow somewhere, grab a piece of grass, 
chew on it, lay down, and try to figure out what the formations of the clouds are as they drift by. Or just go get in your boat and go out on the golf. I don't care. Just whatever. But you need to rest. You need to have that one day a week to rest. And God will honor that. If you're too busy to rest, you're too busy. You need to reprioritize. You need to get honest with yourself. You need to reprioritize. You need to put together a plan. You need to follow that plan and let God bring wholeness back into your life. Amen? All right, good pastoral instruction this morning. Let's all stand. Come on. Thank you for listening to Dr. Jonathan Vorse on Working the Word. We appreciate your love and support. Visit www.jvorse.org to give a gift today. Don't forget to subscribe and enjoy the rest of your day. Always remember, the Word will work if you work the Word. Be blessed.